Hello again, listener. Um, this is the second of two episodes that we lost my original audio for. So once again, please enjoy Don and Kim answering questions from me, but without me. Here's the episode. Welcome to the Relationship Road Trip, navigating the twists and turns of all the important relationships in your life. I'm Ben Azevedo, your backseat driver. This road trip is feeling kind of stop and go, don't you think? I'm Dr. Don Fernando Azevedo, clinical psychologist, executive coach, and voiceover artist, your navigator. And I'm Kim Azevedo, licensed marriage and family therapy associate, your mechanic. You, listener, are the driver. Now get us out of this traffic jam. quote is by the Dalai Lama. Old friends pass away, new friends appear. It is just like the days. An old day passes, a new day arrives. The important thing is to make it meaningful. A meaningful friend or a meaningful day. Last week, we examined friendship in young adulthood. Now we're moving into middle-aged friendships. So Don, you're the only one on the show who can speak on this from experience. What defines a middle-aged friendship? Well, life in this range is often a traffic jam of responsibilities. There's romantic partnership, there's perhaps kids and their needs, there are often increasing job responsibilities, perhaps even aging parents needing care, there are bills, and all kinds of other things that demand your time, attention, and resources. You know, the author, Benjamin Hoff, uh, he wrote a book called The Tao of Pooh. If you haven't read this, it's an awesome book based, of course, on Winnie the Pooh. And he described this time of life and the personality that it draws out as busy backsoon sickness. A busy backsoon is a personality type associated with the rabbit from Winnie the Pooh. A person rushing from one task to another, focused on getting everything done. In their wake, they drop one thing after another, calling over their shoulder to friends and family, busy backsoon. The myth in this age group is that time can be saved. I can do things more efficiently, and if I save time, I'll have more of it. The reality is that time can only be spent. You already have all the time you will ever get in your life. Where you invest it will determine the rewards you will get. In middle age, it's easy to feel like there's no time to spend with friends. That somehow, if you spend time with friends, That takes away from what you should be spending with a partner, children, or family. The emphasis here is on the should. This is a schemata that people have that suggests that there's a right way to do things and a wrong way to do things. It also is a scarcity mentality approach where there's not enough. So if I give anything to someone else, then there won't be stuff for someone, you know, the people that are supposed to get it. One of my grad school professors very wisely informed us that we should not should on ourselves. Yes, it smells bad. And if I go and have time with my friends doing something that we enjoy, do I come back and spend better time with my spouse or kids? And some people, you know, I, I talked to a woman who beat up on herself because she was an executive and chose her career. 
And at one point she finally said to me, you know, I'm a better mother when I am doing my job and working hard than I am if I try to stay at home. But she had a belief set that said, I need to stay at home. That's what mothers do. And yet she was a great mom. Now, she wasn't there all the time with her kids, but when she was there with her kids, she was actually there with her kids. <laughs> That's a better investment of time, in my, my book at least. Well, and that also plays into the societal narrative of the society shoulds on us all the time. And how are you going to respond to that societal narrative as the pressures of adulthood and families and friends start taking over? is how do you want to organize your time? You are in control of it. All of this is your own choices. Yeah. And if you spent just a little bit more time with probably the most important relationship you have uh, throughout your life, but I'm going to focus on it in this middle-aged phase, and that's the relationship with yourself, hopefully a friendship with yourself. And often we run in such a continuous, critical dialogue with our inner voice of how we're not getting everything done or we're not doing it as well as somebody else or whatever the internal voice is that's just beating up on us. If we could shift that dialogue inside our own head to one that allowed us to enjoy what we do accomplish, even if it's not everything, to enjoy what we do accomplish and be grateful for achieving those things and the connections that we have, the time that we have actually becomes more valuable because we're really not wasting it, beating up on ourselves or expecting something different than what's actually happening. So in this phase of life, friends who are able to be both your friend and a friend to your partner and children are the ones who will fill the simultaneous needs of someone to talk to, someone to depend on, and someone to enjoy while balancing your obligations with your nuclear family. And this is a key thing, right? When, when you guys were middle school, high school age, a lot of the friends that uh, your mother and I interacted with were people who were connected to your friends or your activities. He just admitted to having friends when we were in grade school. <laughs> and it was somehow related to me. Actually, your mother is the one that makes friends. Ah, uh, No backing out now. They were friends in the moment. They were someone to talk to and someone to enjoy. I'm not exactly sure that they were someone to depend on for me. There are very few people that fulfill all three of those criteria. That if I was in true despair or in difficulty, there are only a handful of people that I would call seeking help. That's just true in my life. That doesn't make it right or wrong. It's just what's true in my life. Well, and also thinking back about the parents of friends that Ben and I had growing up, and obviously, correct me if I'm wrong, but my interpretation of it is when Ben and I were doing Y Guides, you were closer with those parents than I saw you be with many of the band parents. And I think I'm curious, I think in my external experience of it, your role with band parents was more as a therapist than it was when we were younger and doing the Y-Guide programs. You guys may have insight there uh, into what was going on. The other part is understand that I truly enjoyed all the people that I worked with in band and in the, the Y-Guides and Y-Princesses program 
for me, many of those relationships were great during that period, but didn't expand beyond that period. They were great for a purpose. And this is one of the things about deep friendship, like best friends and that kind of stuff. They transcend different structures or categories. I've had lots of really good work friends in different jobs that I've had, but they didn't extend beyond that. They were certainly people I enjoyed and people I talked to. I'm not sure that they quite fulfilled the third category of depending on, not because of them, by the way, but because that I didn't seek out their help if I needed something. I've reserved that for a smaller group of people that have been with me for a very long time. Because of the multiple demands that are happening here in middle age, you know, somewhere between 40 and 60, it helps if you have a regular hangout time. So Ben was mentioning in the last episode about creating the movie night at his home that happened on the same night every week, he said, uh, at the same time that people could drop in on. That, that kind of regular hangout time facilitates maintaining the relationship. You would just do it with fewer number of people because it becomes overwhelming pretty quickly. And, you know, and even if it's just one time a year, like we're about to go off on our um, annual beach trip, or maybe by the time this is aired, we will have already been on that annual beach trip that we've spent, you know, 23 years with uh, another family, my best friend from graduate school and, and his family. And that for me maintains that set of relationships. And I have delighted in watching his children grow. He seems to have delighted in watching the two of you grow. But even that can quench the needs for that friendship fulfills. It's always nice if your friend is co-located with you somewhere in the same uh, area, if you can do things that are on more like a weekly basis or a monthly basis, like a spin class or book clubs or anything, or even meeting to do routine volunteer work where you do that um, consistently. Some periodic event that facilitates getting together helps maintain the friendship because in this phase, it's easy to get distracted by all of the other stuff that's going on. So one of the ways to maintain a friendship in this, in this age group is to go out of your way to attend milestone events. So if someone turns 40 or 50, go to their birthday party if they have one. Or do things that are important in their life. Make sure that you create the space and the time to do that. Because when you do that, you demonstrate the importance they have in your life and what you hope is that that will stimulate the reciprocity that they will demonstrate how important you are to them when there's some activity going on that's a milestone event for you. The other part, and I always put this in, there are three ways to measure or evaluate a functional friendship. Positivity, how much time do you spend laughing, affirming one another, spending time in gratitude, or doing acts of service for one another? That's positivity. Consistency, and that's having interactions on a pretty continual basis, because that increases the sense of safety and closeness. And then the last is vulnerability. How much do you reveal of yourself and how much do they share of their lives? When you look at those three things, when those three things are pretty high, you have a really great friend. You mentioned before that in middle age, you're really focused on your career and in some ways your legacy. Was that true for you in your experience? And can you tell us what were you focused on in middle age, like in your 30s and 40s and maybe 50s? So in my 30s, it was about expertise. It was about demonstrating to the community that I'm an expert in these key areas. 
And for me, it's marital therapy and corporate or executive coaching. I did do that and created a name for that in my community around those things. That's one of the things I created in this time period. In my 40s, it was more, how do I pass that on to other folks? And I think I did that fairly well, too. There are probably a couple dozen mental health providers out there that I helped to understand how psychology and business fit together. And I feel pretty good about that. But my real legacy is the two of you. And having created good adults who are part of the community and responsible to their community. But, you know, that's really my legacy is the fact that the two of you are operating well in the world. You're good adults. You have a relationship enough with me that you're willing to do this podcast. All of those things are really the key legacy in my life. The businesses I built and the profits I've made are nice. They're helpful, but they're not really my legacy. When I think about my legacy, I have a really hard time kind of figuring out what that would be or if I even really want one or why I would want one. And it's really interesting to hear you talk about it and the kinds of things you were focused on. Because I think a lot of times when I think of the word legacy, it's like this huge, uh, you know, world conquering thing. And it sounds like for you, at least, it doesn't necessarily have to be quite so big. It's kind of within your community and these goals and aspirations you have for yourself. So there are two things there. The first being the generational change. I've been reading about it because it's helping me with a couple of clients that I'm seeing about generational motivation and younger generations like Ben and I in the millennials as well as Gen Z have a harder time grasping the concept of the earth post us because right now it feels hopeless that it will exist, which sounds bad. We look at society and how society is interacting and it becomes really hard to think about a legacy when the world is pretty messy right now. That being said, for some people, it becomes almost a challenge and they kind of jump and bite at the wanting to leave a legacy of having made change. It does mean making a change or leaving a mark, but the number of people you need to affect changes for people. So my life has never been about a legacy where the entire world or even the entire town of Cary, much less county of Wake or state of North Carolina or country of the United States, I didn't care if all of them knew what was happening in my world. For me, my legacy was a much smaller circle. The professionals that I touched and supervised and guided into creating lives of their own where they could earn their money and support their families, my children, my siblings and extended family, that's the only legacy I ever sought to create. I did not need national or international fame. And it doesn't motivate most people, which is lucky because no, we're not all vying to create that kind of change, which would be chaotic. The, the real thing, I mean, people are innately afraid of dying and they want something to last longer than their own life. We want to be remembered. This is why we bury people and put up tombstones is so that a person will be remembered for having been here. And one of the fears is to have been so insignificant that no one will remember that we ever existed. 
That's why legacy.com is a thing for obituaries. It's why the obituary exists. It's why the wake exists, where people come and share stories about the impact that person had on their lives. And this is, you know, fear is a big thing and existence is a big thing. And the fact that we have a limited number of days on the earth in which to to make any level of footprint or impact becomes more apparent in this middle age area between, you know, 40 and 60, 65. We begin to recognize, you know, there are more years behind us than there may be in front of us. Hence the name middle age, right? Most people, at least right now, the estimated lifespan for my generation is about 83 years for a male, about 84 or 85 for a female. For your generation, it's a little bit longer. I think it's 87 and 90. And it's moving very rapidly to where people will live 100 years. So that's why legacy becomes an issue in this age range. You know, what am I leaving? How am I making an impact on the world or the people around me? I decided to Google lifespan expectations for the various generations. And the first thing that popped up read, the reality is the average 1946 born baby boomer retiring this year can expect to live about 18 or 19 years. After retirement. Right. But it threw me for a loop, so I started laughing. You have to do math to figure that one out. And legacy really is defined differently by different people. Okay, so let's move on to friendship in old age. What happens as people transition from middle age to old age? I was going to say, I mean, I have started crocheting, so I did secretly start my 60s this year. (laughs) That's your 90s, man. You're going all the way back to two centuries ago, 1800. I'm sorry, my 90th this year. And, you know, I am using super small crochet hooks, so it's almost getting to that kind of like doily stage so well so so you get you get one step closer if you get to tatting so tatting is actually how you make the true lace and doilies right um anyway that's a very old skill so what happens in the transition from middle age to old age knowing when old age starts is an interesting question And that's changing as time goes by. So it used to be 65 was pretty much the demarcation point. You hit 65, you got to retirement, you expected to live another 10 to 20 years after that, and that was it. You were done. Lifespans are expanding quite a bit. 65 is shifting to 67 and maybe even 70 at that point. And a lot of the professionals that I work with, physicians, other psychologists, accountants, lawyers, engineers, those people are not retiring until they're 75 or 80. When does old age start? Who knows? Eric Erickson, who is probably one of the prominent names uh, in understanding development across the lifespan, said that old age starts in your mid-60s, around 65. And the life task shifts into one of ego integrity versus despair. So ego integrity, big, big words for stuff, is the acceptance of one's one and only life cycle as something that had to be. This is looking back on your life and saying, you know, I actually see how my life's trajectory, how the story thread through this whole thing makes sense, both with its successes and its failures, and I can accept both of them. The issue here is around making sense of what your life has been and what you want to do with the time that you have to correct this. So if we go back to, you know, I do a lot of literary stuff. I know you guys hate that, but 
I do a lot of literary stuff. So Charles Dickens wrote A Christmas Carol. And A Christmas Carol is about this kind of uh, redemption. A Christmas Carol is actually a wonderful metaphor for psychotherapy. Uh, this guy lives his entire life and he ends up being this, this huge miserly individual such that the name Scrooge is used to indicate a miserly person, the character that was in the book, for those of you who haven't read it. And Scrooge goes through his whole life and he's hitting essentially old age. And what has his life meant is what the whole essence of the story is. And he realizes in looking back and trying to, to integrate all of the experiences he's had that his life sums up to nothing, even though he's the richest man in town. He recognizes that he cast away all of the things that would have been meaningful to him. And he is given a new chance to make whatever amount of life he had left different. That's what Erickson is talking about in this is when you look at your life cycle at any given point, are you creating a life worth celebrating? And if not, what can you start to do now to create a life that you'll celebrate when you're in your 70s? You can go to therapy at Azevedo Family Psychology. And, and we will help you get there. If we do well and we get into old age and we have this sense of coherence and wholeness to our life, we are better able to connect to others and have friends. And if you have friends, particularly in old age, your life is overall better and your health is overall better. That's what the research shows us anyway. So friendship actually grows in importance again. In this phase, it's somewhat like adolescence. In adolescence, we sought people who reflected the traits we wanted to be. In old age, we seek those who can affirm the life we have led and help us accept the parts that did not go quite as we hoped, because that's also part of creating that coherence. It's not about getting everything right. It's about accepting the things that went well and the things that went poorly as all part of the, the warp and weft of our life over the course of this, these years. Warp and weft actually are weaving words. The warp and the weft have to do with the different strings that are used in looming. what I just said. Not looming. <laughs> Weaving. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I only know a little bit about weaving. You know, weaving is a great metaphor for a life, right? So we're creating a tapestry of our life. And can we step back and look at this tapestry and say, yes, I get it. It makes sense to me. Also in this phase of life, 65 and over, you start losing people left and right. This is hard, but people start dying on you. And the older you get, the more that happens. Your grandparents, when I've spoken with them, they talk about how you know, every week there are people that they know that are in their, maybe not inner circle, but in one of their closer circles that are passing away. And so friendship becomes important. And if your spouse predeceases you, you need to have friends around you because a major part of who's been in your life is now a whole. So when I talk with people who, are, who were younger when their spouse died, say, you know, in their early 60s or even younger than that, they're really looking for friendships. They're, they may not be looking for another marriage at that point or another significant other, but they want people to spend time with, to do things with to reflect on the stuff that's happening in the world. 
So friendship becomes even more important. And interestingly enough, because the, rela- the responsibilities have diminished, the opportunities and time to invest in friendships grows higher. It's actually a big part, particularly in continuing care communities where there are a lot more able-bodied folks who are in the older range. Mobility is a big part of being able to stay connected and have friends. And if your mobility begins to diminish or your hearing or your vision, all of those things start to limit your world and make it more difficult to connect with other people. And it's also part of your own grieving and relationship to self. You know, as you get older and things are not what they used to be because of, uh, I don't know, anything, arthritis, vision issues, hearing issues, all of those things, there is a sense of I have changed. I am not who I once was. And so that relationship has to evolve uh, with a level of acceptance and understanding and also grieving that I can't do the things I used to do. Don, are there any things that you are especially uh, looking forward to as you near retirement? I know you're still a few years away, but it's something that's on the horizon for you. Um, What are you looking forward to? Before having kids, even though I was in graduate school or early working or certainly involved in my marriage and that kind of thing, I also had hobbies and I did a lot of other things that I set aside because I wanted to invest that time differently. I wanted to invest that time with the two of you and with the communities that you were creating and uh, launching your life because that was a pleasure to me. I am looking forward to the capacity to engage in those hobbies again and perhaps discover new ones that maybe didn't exist You know, when I was in my 20s. The world has changed considerably since I was 25. And I'm interested in exploring those things. And, you know, traveling with your mom and doing cool things with your mom, all of those things. That's what I really look forward to the most in retirement, where I don't have to earn a paycheck. So I don't have to clock in and clock out. All right. That's going to do it for us this week. We talked about what defines a middle-aged friendship and the transition from middle age to old age. There's a lot of tension at that time between spending time with friends versus spending time with your partner or your family. Just remember to take things slow and pay attention to how busy you are to make sure that you make time for things that matter to you. We also talked for a while about legacy and what that means to different people, and why it's a focus of middle age. Old age provides new opportunities for friendship, but also loss. But to end on a slightly brighter note, we talked about what Don is looking forward to in his retirement. We're still looking for new subjects, questions, or other input about what you like or don't about the show. You can reach out to us at questions at afpsych.com. And if you're so inclined, toss us some stars on iTunes. Every little bit helps, especially for a new podcast like ours. We'll talk to y'all again soon. Until then, enjoy the drive. Thank you for listening to The Relationship Road Trip. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and we want to know what you think. So write to us at questions at afpsych.com. You can also support the show by rating and reviewing us on iTunes or subscribing with your favorite podcast app. You can find more episodes of the show at RelationshipRoadTrip.com or wherever you download podcasts. The Relationship Road Trip comes out every Wednesday at 7 a.m., so don't forget to tune in next week. The Relationship Road Trip is brought to you by Azevedo Family Psychology, where they are dedicated to helping you create a life worth celebrating. You can learn more about their services at AzevedoFamilyPsychology.com.
This podcast is produced by Bear Cave Audio. Bear Cave Audio provides a range of audio services, from original composition to podcast recording and editing. To learn more, go to bearcaveaudio.com or email ben at bearcaveaudio.com. Until we meet again, may the road rise up to meet you. May the wind be always at your back, and may the sun shine warm upon your face. Thank you.